Welcome back to the Elise DeLucci Show. I'm your host, Elise, and we are in my living room on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. How are you doing? Can you believe it's almost December? What the heck? Anyway, today's episode 21, we're talking about how to be a good wife. This is according to the 1950s Good Housekeeping magazine, okay? Um, Modern couples are ditching the idea of marriage proposals. We're going to talk about that. Also, how do you talk to your partner about money? I did that not too long ago. It's so not easy. So not easy. So take a sip of your drink, relax, and talk to me, Elise. Okay, fact of the day. I feel like this is a marriage-themed episode. I don't know why I'm not getting married, nor am I married. I'm divorced, as you know. And I don't know if you're married or whatever, but this just seems to be the theme. Anyway, fact of the day. In Scotland, Ireland, and England, on the leap year... That's when people say in those countries that the woman is able to propose to the man. Like she, I don't know if she has better luck on the leap year, but that's like the thing. If the if the girl wants to propose to the guy, do it on the leap year. If you're in Scotland, Ireland, or England, but so here here's the thing. Now Finland, okay, has the same sort of rule: propose on the leap year if you're the girl proposing to the guy. But if the guy rejects your proposal. The man has to give the woman fabric so she could go make a skirt. I know. This is actually true. This is really true. And it's also really insane. I mean, as I'm saying it, I'm like, really? But, you know, it's like, first of all, first of all, this is 2020. Okay. If you are with a guy and you want to propose to the guy, why the hell do you have to wait for a leap year? Okay. That's like every four years, number one. Number two, if he rejects you, are you really going to want to accept some fabric from him so you could go make a skirt, Susie Home Makeup? Please, get out of here. I throw the fabric back in his face. Get the hell, get the hell out of my face. You're horrible. Who, you told my proposal? What? Anyway, but it's true. So, how are you? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? This is, was just the, it was just the craziest year. Everyone I spoke to, I mean, you know, a lot of people didn't even make a turkey or they didn't even care about Thanksgiving. Most people that, you know, I know it was their immediate family only. I don't know about you. You know, people had, you know, the, the, the just the, the, when, or they went to their parents' house, like, you know, mother, father, whatever, and then their children. But no one had the big thing. Nobody was using their fine china. Even on TikTok, I don't know. I was, I bought, I got this huge turkey because it was like the last minute. It was the last minute for me knowing that I was going to make Thanksgiving. My daughters were like, mommy, can you get a turkey, please? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll go, I'll go whip that up. Let me go kill a turkey in the middle of Manhattan the day before Thanksgiving. Okay. But I go to Morton Williams and I, I think that's owned by ShopRite. I find a, a 23 pound bird in there and it was like over a hundred dollars. I mean, I have food for the next year, my freezer, but still, still, but I bought it. And you know, I should have bought a freaking chicken. A roaster. I should have brought some. I should have bought some Cornish hens. It would have been much more in line with their fancy tastes. My kids, you know. I didn't even think about it. I should have done that. But hopefully, had you had a nice day. Um, ours was small. I mean, we just you know stayed in the apartment. We went for a walk before. It was so muggy in Manhattan, you know. And I, I had on like a wool coat and a turtleneck, and I go out there and it's sweltering, and I'm like, it's so unnatural. Of course, of course. 2020 Thanksgiving. Of course, you go outside. You could. You should be out there in a bikini rather than a pea coat. You know. Anyway, you know. Um, I don't. I just finished watching this show. Okay, I just finished yesterday. I'm all hopped up on it. It's called The Vow. Have you watched this? It's on HBO. It's basically about the cult uh, Nexium, 
N-V-X-I-M. That's how you spell it, N-V-X-I-M, and it's pronounced Nexium. So the it's about the sex cult. Basically, this guy, Keith Raniere, founded this group, you know, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, and this group called Nexium, and he... and that was, I think, I don't know if that's the cult name or whatnot, but the, the company name was Executive Success Programs, ESP. And basically, you know, this 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 company was just selling the idea of how you can go better yourself. You can go better yourself and think differently about things and cha- overcome obstacles or any blockages you've been having in your life. Sort of like a workshop therapy thing, but not therapy, you know, not, not given by a doctor. And all these people signed up and, you know, they wound up basically brainwashing them and uh, in this in, by, by this whole you know structured out methodology that this the founder Keith Ranieri uh, laid out and this is what the whole show is about and it's so fascinating and you can't believe that people actually join this thing and you can't believe what, what actually happens within the cult it is literally insane I bought HBO to watch the undoing which was the season finale it was last night for that which is a great show with Hugh Grant and um, what's her name Oh, come on. Her name is totally escaping me. Ah, it'll come to me anyway. But so I, I bought the HBO to watch The Undoing, but then I got into The Vow. Mind-blowing stuff. Mind-blowing. And by the way, I should say, I mean, you know, one of the points they made in the show The Vow about a cult, nobody wakes up one day and says, you know, well, let me back up. The people that were in the cult after they found out it was a cult and after they, they saw all this horrible stuff that was going on, you know, these people were being interviewed, like, uh, you know, confession style, confessional booth style interviews. <laughs> Excuse me. That's disgusting. I'm all backed up. You know why? Because I'm having a ginger ale, and I don't usually drink ginger ale. I only drink water and seltzer. Anyway, so um, the, the the people that were in the cult are given these confessional style interviews, right? And they're like, they're like, you know, we're so embarrassed. We're embarrassed that we joined this thing, and we believed all this stuff, and we were working for this company that we thought was just bettering ourselves and bettering the world. And it wound up being this whole, you know, perverse, psychotic cult. And they, you know, they said, but we are embarrassed because who wakes up and says they want to join a cult? Who wakes up and say, you know what, today I'm going to join a cult. That sounds like a wonderful idea. On the way to, on the way to my cult meeting, I'm going to grab a, ca- a cup of Sanka on the way out. I mean, nobody says that, <laughs> you know? So it's like, on one hand, I'm watching the show and I'm thinking, how the hell can these people have fell for this shit? But it's so easy to say that when I'm on the couch watching it. But you know, if I don't know, if I had a friend, if one of my best friends came over to me and said, you know, Elise, there's this thing out there and it's a group and you could join and you could go once a week and you talk about your feelings and they give you strategies to help you, you know, overcome, I don't know, relationship problems or money problems or how to have a better outlook on things. You know, knowing me, I'd probably be like, okay, sign me up. And that's what these people did. And then, and then they, they, you know, they, they, and then I found that it was a cult. So that's the show I recommend, The Vow on HBO. And by the by, totally unrelated. Oh, look, my work phone's blown. Is, um, blowing up. Anyway, I, I actually went to an ashram a few times. I don't know uh, if you've ever been to an ashram. I've been to this ashram called Sivananda. It was upstate New York, but they have other ones. There's one in India. I think there's actually one in the Bahamas, which sounds fancy. The one I was at was not fancy. But again, the ashram I went to when I got out of a relationship years ago, and I wanted to just go to a place and like chill out, you know, and like, I don't know, just be quiet and 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 do yoga and whatever else. And it wound up being a cool, slightly scary experience because, I mean, I didn't want to wake up at 5 a.m. and do yoga five times a day. But I didn't realize that until I got there. But my point is that I woke up one day years ago and said, I'm going to go to an ashram. 
You know, and so I totally could kind of see how people just get caught up in this muck. But I totally, totally think you should watch it. The Vow, Nexium, the cult, look it up. It's messed up. But if you look it up on the internet, you know, you might do a little spoiler alert of the show. Anyway, what are you guys keeping your masks these days? You know, where are you keeping your masks? Your mask storage in your house. I, for the longest time, I was just buying the blue masks, you know, the blue hospital masks, because I just thought, oh, this is going to be over next month, next month. And then obviously it, it wasn't over. Then I bought the black hospital masks, like the disposable ones. And I just decided to upgrade a month ago to just some plain black cotton ones I bought on Amazon. But in my entryway, I have a small little entryway in the city, my apartment here. And as if I have other homes. Oh, I have a small little entryway here in the city. As if I have a fucking countryside mansion, you know, two hours up north. I don't. Spoiler alert. There's no mansion, which this is what I have. I want to say what you see is what you get, but you can't see. Anyway, I have a little entryway table in my foyer. And I uh, I, I have masks just loaded up there. Like, literally, I wa- wash these reusable masks and I put them right on top of the table. It's depressing. Every time I walk in my house or out of my house, I'm reminded that... You know, I have to have an array of masks and I have a box of gloves next to it and I have hand sanitizer and I have it all on top of a little paper towel that I change out weekly. It's crazy. I look like an OCD nut job. But it's like, where do you keep your masks? Do you put them in your underwear drawer? Are you keeping them like, I don't know, in the kitchen with your dish towels? I really don't know. I got to turn this phone off. But, um... I, I obviously, obviously, I keep by the door, so I remember to take the damn thing when I go out. You know how many times I've gotten in the elevator and I was like, shit, I forgot my mask. But I, I need a better mask storage thing. So, so okay, so lots of things we're talking about, but I'm doing a recipe because I think I said from now until uh, the end of the holiday season, you know, I wanted to uh, do a recipe, one recipe per show. And today I have a recipe for a jello mold. Now, let me just put this out there for you. I have a fascination with jello molds. Okay, do you know? Do you know about jello molds? I'm sure you do. But I said to my boyfriend yesterday, I said, I said, you know, babe, I think I'm gonna make a jello mold. He's like, a jello what? I'm like, a jello mold. He's like, what the fuck is a jello mold, Elise? And I'm like, you know, it's like that thing in the 1950s, it kind of looks like like a half moon, you know, gelatin structure, you know, shape, sculpture. And inside was all sorts of wacky things like limes and you know, yeah, I don't know, cranberries and maybe a sprig of rosemary. It looked like a party in a, in a, in a, in a jello dome. And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but I didn't make one last night. But I'm going to. And I, ha- I found this recipe. Uh, a friend gave this to me and she said it was really, she found it online. She said she made this and she made it for uh, Christmas last year. And she's like, Elise, this is like the best one online. You got to do it. And I said, oh, okay, fine. So I'm going to give it to you. So again, disclosure, I didn't make this yet, but I am. I'm going to make it this week. And when I do, I'm going to TikTok it because I love it. And I, by the way, I have, before I tell you that, I have a bunt pan, like, you know, a bunt pan that I'm, I use for cakes or whatever. If you don't have that, you can use any, any old dish, you know, like a corningware or any old thing. Anyway, okay. But, you know, you want to use something that has a little, like, height. You know, maybe, I don't know, four inches. Oh, whatever. Anyway, okay, here it is. One pack of Jell-O. One box, one six-ounce package of Jell-O. One can of pineapple chunks. One, I should say, one 14-ounce can of pineapple chunks. One six-ounce can of mandarin orange juice. One 14-ounce can of peaches. 
a bunch of green grapes, fresh, one 10-ounce jar of maraschino cherries, and one cup of walnuts. Walnuts! One cup of walnuts! One, one cup of walnuts chopped, or any nuts if you have. All the juices you want to reserve. So reserve the pineapple juice, the mandarin orange juice, the peach juice. Um, that's what my girlfriend said. So this is what you do. You drain the canned fruit, save the juice. You want to save roughly two cups of the juice from the uh, the, the canned fruit. So you want to, you're going to save that to make the jello. So you drain the fruit, save two cups of the juice. So then now you're going to make the jello, right? So take two cups of boiling water and two cups of that drained juice you just saved and mix it together with the jello powder, you know, in a bowl, whatever, and then pour it into your mold. So I would be pouring this into my bunt pan or whatever dish you're going to use, your bowl, whatever, and cover it, cover it with plastic wrap, refrigerate that for an hour and a half. So at this time, she told me the jello is going to be like half set, right? You're not putting any fruit or anything in it at this point. You're just going to cover it and put it in the fridge for an hour and a half. And then when the hour and a half is up, you're going to stir in the drained fruit and the nuts, and you're going to put it back in the fridge until it's all set. And when you're ready to serve it, she told me just you could, um, if you're using a bunt pan, uh, you know, run it a run it slightly, run it a little bit, like tilt it slightly, you know, and run it a little bit under hot water and put a plate on the top, by the way, where you're doing this. And then, of course, when you want to take it out, just invert it and flip it onto the plate. And there you go. Voila. By the way, someone once told me if you're doing, I'm making jello in a bunt pan or a bowl and you want to flip it over, you know, flip it out of the bowl because you want to have it on a, I don't know, make a little presentation piece for your table, put, um, Spray cooking mold in a uh, co- sorry cooking uh, spray inside the bowl or the mold before you start so it slides out easily and also put some cooking spray on the plate when you're flipping it over so that's it I didn't make it yet but I'm so excited to make this it looks so cute um she showed me a picture from last year it, it, lo- it looks like a jello sculpture on the plate like I'm gonna put it on a plate I'm gonna put a sprig of rosemary at the top and I'm gonna have a Charlie Brown Christmas tree in the middle of my table I think it's gonna be fabulous but isn't it funny like. In the 50s, people used to make these all the time. Like, like they were like, they, they, it was like part of the dinner, you know? Like, like a jello salad, gelatin salad with ham in there and sausage and stuff. Oh, woof. Not for me. But jello molds with fruit and stuff like that, I definitely could get on board with. But I just have this fascination for some reason with 1950s cooking. It's probably why I picked the theme song, the intro music, I should say, to my podcast. I feel like that's very 50s-ish, you know? Anyway. And if you've made jello molds, let me know. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to how they've come out. So moving on to 50s things, more 50s things. There was a magazine in the 50s called Housekeeping Monthly. I, I, I tried to find this magazine online, Housekeeping Monthly from the 50s. I couldn't find it. I actually think that it's probably good housekeeping magazine. I don't know. But basically, whether it's good housekeeping from 1955 or Housekeeping Monthly, whatever this weird magazine is that I couldn't find. No, I shouldn't say weird. I just don't know where it is. They came out with a guide in their May issue, their May 1955 issue, and it was called The Good Wife Guide. Basically, how how you could be a good wife to your husband, a good wife and a good mother, according to, you know, this magazine and, and what was what was in style then. And can you can you just believe that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine you know, opening up the newspaper, your, your, your local newspaper, or I don't know, any magazine you subscribe to, and it was like, 
how to be a good wife 101. I would be like, are you kidding me? So let me, I'm going to, I printed this out. I'm going to read you some of these things. Some of the things actually, I got to say, like, I think I kind of agree with this. Here's my thought. I feel like you're going to think the same thing. I don't know if you work or not, but I, I, I work. So, you know, I'm not, when I was married, I was, he was working nine to five and I was working. So it's not like I had all the time in the world to, you know, be a Stepford wife during the day. You know what I'm saying? But if, if your partner goes out to work every day and he's the sole earner for the household and you have kids or whatever, and you're home raising the kids or just, I don't know, you're just home. Maybe you just have a, you're a lady of leisure home. I feel that there are things you probably should do. Like your job is to, you know, I don't know, take care of things around the house. I'm not saying you as in you, the listener. I'm saying that's how I feel. If I was married and my husband was going out making all the bacon and I was home all day with the kids or without the kids, I would make sure I I did my little air quotes job in the house and I would feel that that's making a meal or whatever. And I do that stuff anyway. So by so so that that's my take on it. But this list, this list is a little extreme because you know these women they weren't working. So basically, have dinner ready, which I agree with. Prepare yourself. So they're saying about 15 minutes before the man comes home, you know, go into the bathroom, freshen yourself up, make sure you have lipstick on. I, 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 again, I kind of agree with that. I mean, you know, I don't want to open the door and, and greet my man like a big slob, but, you know, whatever. But if I'm tired from work, I mean, <laughs> sorry, buddy. But anyway, they're saying, um, this, this is hilarious. Be a little gay and be more interesting to him. You know, have a sense of humor. Make sure he comes home to a clean house. Gather up all the toys and the school books and the papers, whatever. Um, prepare the children. So have the children look presentable. Have them have their hands uh, and face washed and their clothes nice and neat. Have the kids be happy to see him. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, hello, Daddy. <laughs> Welcome home, Daddy. And we stayed in that school uniform just for you. Like, that would never happen. Um, and they say, you know, listen to him. On this list, listen to him. He's had a very hard day at work. Make sure you listen to all of his woes. If he doesn't, if he comes home late, don't give him shit. If he stays out for the whole night, don't question him the next morning. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, your husband just doesn't come home. And, you, and, and you're just not supposed to ask him where he was. Ha! They, they also says on the list, don't greet him with uh, complaints and problems. Don't complain about anything for him. Do, to anything for him. Make sure he's comfortable. Wait, here's the best part. Arrange a pillow for him and take off his shoes. And don't ask him any questions about his actions. And they, they end this list with a good wife always knows her place. I mean, get the fuck out of here. Okay, that's what I have to say. Get the fuck out. Honestly, like, look, like I said, if you're home all day and your guy or your girl, whoever you're with, is out making all the cheddar, I would say straighten up the house. I would straighten up the house. I would have a meal on the table. I would have the homework done with the kids and all that stuff because he's out making the beans. But really? Really? Don't question him? What, 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 what kind of... What kind of we're going to house arrest slavery is this. This is what it is. It's a Bible for house arrest slavery. I just think that it's funny to see how society once behaved because this is this is very true. And these women, you know, well, they were preparing the meals. They were making jello molds. <laughs> yeah, honey, I made you a beautiful dinner. Jello mold is baloney inside. <laughs> anyway. So, I um 
I subscribe to the New York Times. I love the New York Times. I because they have the best, they have the best real estate sections, the best style sections, and you know, metropolitan. I love, I love all their sort of arts and leisure stuff. I, I love it. So anyway, last week I'm reading in the Times, and the, um, there was a huge article about saying no to proposals, and and basically the whole article was about like, look, it's 2020, it's modern times. Everybody is living together before they get married. People are mixing their money before they get married, opening joint bank accounts. And people, you know, you know, people are basically acting like they're getting married. They're, you know, they're, they're living together. They're acting like a married couple. They're not married. And when they decide they want to get married, they're not saying, you know, hey, Stanley, I'm going to need you to get on one knee. Give me a big rock. They're not saying that, these people. They're basically saying, you know, having an intelligent conversation. Like, look, we've been dating for two years. I think it's time we should probably think about getting married, whatever. And they make a mutual sort of, have a decision, mutual conversation. And that's it. They just, boom, get engaged. And um, and that, that that's what the article was about. And basically they were saying that, you know, people, the people that are doing this, more and more young people that are, it's more young people, obviously, they're saying that, proposals they feel cheesy they feel trapping they feel like it has a lot of power implications you know like why should the guy decide when we're ready to get married and and he's gonna go out and you know buy me a ring and he's gonna you know buy me out as his wife uh you know this whole process is so antiquated and um you know and their whole point was you know we live in this forward-thinking society we live in modern ways why the hell are we doing this thing and you know listen I, I've read I've read in the past, I know the LGBTQ communities, like they, they sort of reject the idea. I don't want to say they as in like I'm grouping them all into one group, but I'm saying that the LGBTQ community, they tend to reject the idea of like the heteronorms of marriage, of proposals and that kind of thing. And because they feel like it's, you know, I don't know, there's, it's, it's, there's gender bias and all that kind of thing. So I've read that before, but I, I, I really, this is like the first time I think I read an article about, um, you know, uh, just sort of your average couple, you know, Sam and Susie, that, that are like, you know, I don't, I, we don't need to do a proposal. Because you want to know what? I kind of like a proposal, according to Elise. Thank you. I mean, I get it. I, 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 you know, of course I get it. I mean, listen, but let's talk about this. Like when you got engaged, right? When you got engaged to you, like, I don't know how old you are, right? You, you who are listening, but when you got proposed to or engaged or whatever, like, I'm sure you had a conversation, right? With, with the guy or the girl. And you said, Hey, like we've been dating for X, we've been dating for six years. You better fucking give me a right. I mean, right. You had that kind of conversation. No. Right. I mean, like you had those kind of conversations. I mean, I, I mean, I had it before I, I got married. I got engaged, you know, years ago. It's like, I, I feel that most people are talking about it. It's not like it's just a super surprise or it's been brought up before. I should say it's been, it's been brought up before the actual proposal happens. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I fully agree with this thing because I feel like we do talk about it. I'm like, really? The man getting on the name? I, I know. I don't know. It's a little too much for me. I get it. But then it started me thinking about where does the proposal come from? So he started reading all this stuff and basically, you know, the gold ring, you know, was obviously given, the man gave the woman a gold ring, you know, in ancient Rome. So proposals basically started back in ancient Rome. The man would give the woman a gold ring and, and that was basically to signify that they were, what, they were to be married and the bride, obvi- the bride to be was obviously expected to wear this in public. Now, <clears throat> the idea of the man bending down on one knee 
was a whole other thing. And that comes from like so a medieval knights. These medieval knights, they would bow before the noble women. Um, and so basically the idea is obviously, you know, the man getting on one knee, he's bowing before his noble woman. You know, when he's asking for the partner's hand in marriage, will you marry me? And I, I think that that's something sweet. And I tend to be traditional. I mean, you know, I have to feel like I have two sides to myself. Like some sides I'm very, you know, I, I'm, I'm super liberal about a lot of my thoughts and ideas. And then other sides I'm traditional. And I kind of like that tradition of the man, you know, getting on his knee and asking you to marry him, you know. Um, the thing that's funny, though, that I was reading in this whole business, not in the article, you know, as I started to really look it up because I was curious, is that you'll die. In 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 second century BC, the, so the the Romans, the god, this the man, he would give the bride to be the 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 two rings. It was actually two rings. He would give the gold ring, which obviously we still do. The gold ring, that's what she had to wear in public. And then he also gave her an iron ring. I swear to God, an iron ring, and that's what she wore at home while doing the housework. That, that gets me a little miffed. Like, come on, that's antiquated for me. Can you imagine? Hey, babe, you know, I, I, I've been with you for two years, and I love you so much, and I, I, I would like to ask you to be my wife, and blah, blah, and, and, and out comes two rings, one shiny gold ring for you to go parade around your friends, and then what, a casual wedding band, a casual engagement ring, your, 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 your casual ring to, to wash the dishes and, and scrub the tub with, and it's made out of iron, like the same material that handcuffs are made out of? <laughs> no! I couldn't handle that. But that is, that's that's true. That's what happened. And then, you know, it's like today, obviously, so many people are, are moving away from diamonds. I mean, you know, so it's like, fine, you want to move away from proposals and you don't want to get a ring, fine, that's fine. That's your business. And by the way, a lot of couples also, as I know, and I'm sure you know, they're, they, they're feeling like I don't need to spend, I don't need to spend, you know, thousands of dollars on an engagement ring a diamond engagement ring just to show my love and affection to the woman. And a lot of women are saying, obviously, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this. They're like, yeah, we don't need this, you know, thousands of dollars worth of a ring to run around. So most people are getting, you know, non-diamond engagement rings, but they're still doing the proposal, obviously. And, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of a non-diamond engagement ring. Um, I don't know. I think it's different. I think I I think it's cool. I think it's unique. And like, you know, when you really think about it, boyfriend, if you're listening, don't get any ideas. <laughs> no, he he we're not getting engaged. But 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 I do think it's cool. Like, you know, when I look online, um, which you really can never see the prices of engagement rings online, but you know, when I do look online or if I'm just browsing in the store, I mean these the prices are ridiculous. I mean, come on. Like you know, even for something like very, very, very modest, I mean, you, the prices are just so outrageous. And I don't know how people get their money these days. Like you're supposed to buy the ring and then you got to put a down payment down in the house. And then, you know, you have a million things to pay for. I mean, it's really, it is, it's, it's, it's hard. So all these people obviously are looking at alternative rings if they are doing the proposals. And I like it. I, I, I do like that. But you know, the bottom line, so, you know, it's like, obviously there's the, the Mo's, um, what is it called? What's that thing called? The, oh, the Mohs hardness scale. You know about that? It's basically like it says, you know, it, it ranks the hardness of all the gemstones. Like a one on the Mohs hardness scale is talc and a 10 is the di- is a diamond. So the 10 is the strongest and one being talc powder, baby powder sort of thing. That's obviously nothing, you know, it's dis- it's disintegrates. So they're saying if you do go for a non- um, diamond engagement ring. You want something just as hard as a diamond. So it's like the ones that are as hard as a diamond, sapphire, 
emerald, ruby, aquamarine, um, topaz, alexandrite. Those are hard. Those are good options if you want to have a non-diamond engagement ring. They're saying what's really bad as um, you know, a diamond alternative engagement ring is amethyst, opal, pearls, tanzanite, because those stones are all like about a three or a four or a five on the Mohs hardness scale. I remember all that stuff from when I was a uh, when I, when I got engaged, um, which was you know I think maybe I don't know over ten years ago now, which is crazy to think, but wow that was it was that long. Um, and I don't know. I got news for you though. These other stones, okay, girls on the the most hardness, sapphire, emeralds, and rubies all like seriously just as expensive as diamonds. I mean I feel like they're arguably just as expensive. Sure, you can get a, a blue sapphire. For, for probably less than a diamond, but if you want one of those like beautiful bright blue sapphires and you know beautiful cut, I mean you're going to be spending just as much as you would for a diamond. So I don't know. You could always get a CZ cubic zirconia. Who the hell's going to know the difference? You know the fakes today. They're so good. I wish I had um, a good fake for you. Actually, so I should. I'll get back to you on that. Someone I know told me about a really good. Um, you know, I don't want to say fake diamond, but it's a diamond alternative, a cubic zirconia, but it was a brand. I didn't want to say forever diamonds, but it's not. It's something else. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I, whatever. I mean, like, nobody's really going to know, but, 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 you know, I get it. Diamond is the hardest. Diamonds are perfect, arguably, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. You know, I, I've, I've been there, done that, so I kind of feel like, eh, it's just a thing. You know what I'd rather have? I'd rather have a beach house. That's what I'd rather have. Yeah, you want to get... I say to my boyfriend, you want to marry me? Yeah, we could get a beach house. Like, who... Fuck a ring. Who needs a ring? I'll take a beach house. It's like I said on TikTok. Who needs diamonds when you can have a Dyson? You know? This is true. Moving on to a product review. And on the jewelry topic, though. So, I, I got this ring a long time... Not... No. Not any in diamonds or fake diamond. Whatever. I bought this ring on Amazon... A year ago. Um, it's super cool. I've been getting so many compliments on it, so I want to tell you about it. It's it's a lira, the Italian coin. Obviously, I'm Italian, so it's um the Italian lira. That's uh it's a 500 lira coin, and you know they're those are out of print. They they don't make the lira anymore. But it's a, it's an actual lira coin, and it's a ring, and it's a chunky ring. And they, this brand also makes um the lira bracelet, and um you know they use these coins and all these other cool sorts of chunky things, and they make this sort of Italian jewelry. The brand is called Mia Bella. Mia Bella. So I saw this bracelet that I like. It matches the ring. I've been getting compliments on this ring all over the place. Everywhere I go, literally, Matt's dinner, people come over to me and they say, oh, my God, I love your ring. Where would you get it? People always think it's like a $2,000 ring from, I don't know, one of the high-end department stores. I think I paid like $30 for it. It's nice. It's 18 karat gold over, I think, bronze or over stainless steel. It's it, and it's it's uh, yellow and white. It's so nice. Check it out. But here's the, but there's a bracelet. So this is the product. The bracelet, Mia Bella, 18 karat gold over bronze, Italian genuine lira coin charm bracelet made in Italy. It's $49. It's the bracelet. I love it. I, and I actually think this makes a great Christmas gift, too. If you have, like, a sister or if you want to just, you know, do the whole thing, buy one for somebody, buy one for yourself sort of thing that I seem to fall, I trap, I fall, get into that trap every year. But I, um, 
and then I have a giant credit card bill after the holidays, and I'm miserable, and then I gain weight because I'm doing nervous eating because I have giant bills, but anyway, um, no, so I love this, Mia Bella, it's so cool, and like, here's the thing, this is why I'm talking about this, because I love jewelry. I love jewelry. I just, like, I love it. But it's so, it's just so expensive. Like, I I don't know. I don't know what what gold, I don't know what the price, stock prices of gold, I don't know what commodities trading is doing right now. I don't know anything about that right now. I'm not tracking it. But I, um, but it's freaking expensive. And I think that the stuff that I'm seeing, I see stuff on Amazon and I can't believe it. Like, it's so good. And don't get me wrong. I see stuff when I go to TJ Maxx and Marshalls, you know, in the jewelry section, that's all the costume stuff and it looks gorgeous. But you don't get the reviews, of course, when you go to TJ Maxx and Home Goods or whatever, looking at the jewelry and the, the jewelry uh, counter. But on Amazon, you know, or wherever, whatever websites, you know, what's nice is you're reading all the customer reviews. You're hearing people say, "Hey, this didn't yellow after six months. My ring, my finger didn't turn blue after three months." You know, I swear to God, I, I can't wait to get this bracelet. I'm gonna get it. It's so cool. Um, and the best part that I like about it. Not that I have charms to be hooking on a charm bracelet, but you can put other charms on this charm bracelet um, in addition to the Lyra coin that it comes on. I love it. Anywho. Question from the audience. Okay. This is, again, I feel, I don't know, this is like the marriage-centric episode, the couple, whatever. This is the question. Hey, Elise, I'm scared to talk to my boyfriend about money. What's the best way to do this? Now, I'm just prefacing, I'm just prefacing that I'm not an expert in any of this, ah, blah, blah, blah. I say that every episode. It's just, you know, I'm just like your friends, as if you just called your friend to ask me my thought, my opinion. So here's the deal. I hear you. It is the most miserable, horrific, scary thing to do to talk about money, but you got to do it. You absolutely have to do it. I think you know you have to do it because you're saying what's the best way to do it. I think this is personal. If you have, if your boyfriend, if you and your boyfriend, well, it depends how long have you been together. If you've been together for three months, I don't think it's appropriate to talk about money at this time. I think there's other little things that you could find out about him if you've been dating for, say, three or four months um, that could tip you off. You know, you could start to look at, like, just just observe how he's spending his money, you know, the things he buys for himself, um, if he talks about saving his money, or if, you know, he gets, like, a, I don't know, a commission check or something like that, or his paycheck, does he sort of spend a lot, or he takes you out for extravagant dinners right when it comes in sort of thing. I think that's stuff you can observe, observe. And I don't think that having a money conversation, if you're together for a short period of time, is appropriate. But I think if you're together for, you know, six, eight months, I think, sure, I think if you're serious about each other, only if you're serious, I think that you should have it. Um, I had this conversation with my boyfriend, and he was, first of all, he would die if he heard me saying this, but he he was like, you are the first woman in my entire life that has ever spoke to me about money. And I said to him, I said, oh, really? Well, I'm so sorry for you. I am so sorry for you. I said, because, you know, you, you, other women should have been talking to you about money and you should have been talking to other women about money. And I told him, and I know we're getting off topic for a second. I said, but I told him, I said, cause you know what? I said, if you're with somebody and say, I said, I told him, so exactly told my boyfriend. I said, so say you're with a, a ex-girlfriend or one girlfriend, whatever, and you don't have a conversation about money and then say you get married and then say you want to buy a house or something like that or apply for an apartment, whatever. If she has terrible credit. Guess who's everything? It's gonna all be your all in your name. 
You're not going to be able to count her salary or whatever money she brings in from her job. You're not going to be able to count that because she's not going to be able to be on the mortgage because she has bad credit. She's not going to be qualified. You're not going to get a good rate. You know, so it's it's all going to have to be in your name. The amount of mortgage you take out is only going to be dependent on your salary, not hers. Again, because she has bad credit. I said, so I'm so sorry for you that you never had that conversation. And I said, and that's, and I told him, I said, and that's if you, and that's if you, like, at that stage where you're thinking about getting married. I told him, I said, but aside from that, forget getting married and forget buying a house and all that stuff. Why wouldn't you want to talk to any past girlfriends about money if you were serious with them? I said to him, like, weren't you curious how they did their money? Did they save? Did they spend? Didn't you want to know? He's like, no. Um, really? No? Because I think it's important. So I'm happy that you're asking me this question. Um. I think that a lot of times our views on money come from how we were raised, you know, I'm, I feel like that's a general statement to make, but you know, if you were raised in a, in a household where people were conservative spenders, I think, and that was always sort of talked about at the dinner table, or you always saw your parents save money and not be, you know, not be extravagant. I think then that will translate over, um, to the kids, to, to us, you know, I think that if you saw your parents, you know, buying super fancy things and, and, and being very flashy, I also think that transfers over. Um, so I think that it's very personal. I think it really talking about money really hits home. Um, how I spoke about money with my boyfriend, which was hilarious, was I made an Excel spreadsheet (laughs) and I wrote down, um, all of my, uh, questions that I had for him. I did not ask him questions like how much money do you make and how much money do you have saved? I didn't ask him like that. I just asked him what was his thoughts on money? What's important to him? Um, what do you like to save your money for? What do you like to spend your money on? What's your worst, uh, sort of financial mistake? Uh, what do you, what are your assets? You know, do you have a 401k, an IRA, a retirement? So I wrote all of those questions down in an Excel spreadsheet and I, basically sat him down. I said, I want to have this conversation with you. You know, we like each other, you know, we're in this nice little thing here and, um, everything's going nicely, but this is really important to me. He obviously was horrified after we got over him being horrified and I had to calm that situation down. Then I turned to my pink MacBook and I started asking him the questions and he answered them and it was fine. He was, um, at times he was a little uncomfortable. He said, I'm uncomfortable, whatever. But for me, using the Excel spreadsheet was really good because it helped It helped me have a guide. So we did go off on a lot of tangents, but, you know, because I had it all written down um, and the questions written down, um, it helped me bring that back. So I would recommend doing it like that. That's just how I did it. Um, I think that if you don't have the conversation structured out, I think because money is such a sensitive topic, I think because it hits such a sensitive nerve for, for men particularly, um, if your partner is a man, um, you know, or, or, or say just someone, you know, a woman that, that it would be very sensitive for as well. I, I think that having the structure really helps. Um, and I think once you ask them their questions and ask the questions, I think that you should, well, I should say you should establish right up at the front, you know, you say, I, I want to answer these two for you as well. Um, or, you know, let him answer and then you go answer them, you know, blah, blah. So that's, that's what I would recommend. Um, I think that have the conversation, be structured. I would write it down. If you want to really be super structured, I would even, uh, give him, you know, print it out, make a copy of it for him and let him ask you the same exact questions back right when you're, when he's done answering. 
Um, and I think that it's going to bring you together. I mean, listen, and, and by the by, if somebody doesn't want to talk to you about money, if they're really like closed door on it, this is what I would think. I would think either one, they're not that serious with the relationship and that should be a sign for you. Um, or two, they're embarrassed and they're hiding something. And, you know, once you, once you get into the financial intimate, into financial intimacy with somebody else, I really think it's, it's a, it's a make or break. It's either going to bring you closer, um, or it's, you're just going to both be at two opposite ends and it's going to be, you know, kind of a big eye opener. So that's my opinion. Um, I, I hope I answered your question. Quote of the day, Caroline Rhea, remember her? She's a comic. I haven't seen her. I don't know where she's been lately. I haven't seen her around, but, uh, Caroline Rhea. Quote, my favorite machine at the gym is the vending machine. That is something that I can definitely relate to. Anyway, that's all for the Elise DeLucci Show today, episode 21. Thank you for listening. You know, I'm trying to get more listeners on this podcast. Um, I don't really know how you get more listeners just besides for keep doing them and, you know, and, and, and have everybody be happy. But if you want to recommend it to your friends, I would love that. And I think, though, that a good way to get listeners is through reviews. I know if you listen to this every week, you hear me say this all the time. You're probably like, wah, wah, wah. She's only talking about reviews at the end. I am because they're so important to my podcast growth. And, um... That's about it. So you can follow me to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can follow me on TikTok at Elise DeLucci or on Instagram at Elise DeLucci. On my Instagram, I tend to post some more personal pictures and stuff like that. And I will talk to you next time. Ciao, ciao.